0: Welcome to the Business Podcast Canada, a Canadian podcast for business professionals around the world with Victor Miyagi and a special guest. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Business Podcast Canada. In today's episode, we'll be talking about recent HR trends as well as how to grow your LinkedIn network and influence. We'll go from job postings, showing salaries to having so many connections that LinkedIn won't let you have anymore. My name is Victor and today I don't have Robin with me. Unfortunately, she is busy learning the ropes of a brand new role. However, I do have a very special guest with me today, Charlie Staffro. Charlie is the founder and president of CS Recruiting, the top supply chain logistics and recruitment firm since 2010. And as if that weren't impressive enough, already she has reached the limit of LinkedIn connections and she has more than 42,000 followers as well. So she is definitely a LinkedIn influencer. Charlie, wow, thank you so much for making the time to be here. How are you doing today?
1: I'm well, I'm happy to be here and excited to chat with you, Victor.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Just so everyone knows, Charlie's LinkedIn posts are always inspiring, thought-provoking, informative. They get hundreds of reactions. I actually found Charlie when she posted a viral note about whether or not a job posting should include the salary. I first reached out to her to ask for her permission to feature that post here. And then I took a chance and asked her if she would like to be in the podcast. And here we are today. So a lesson on taking chances there.
1: Exactly. It's all about putting yourself out there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So Charlie, before we get into my questions for you, would you mind uh, telling us a little bit about yourself and what you all do over at CS Recruiting?
1: Absolutely. So as you mentioned with your kind intro, my name is Charlie Safro. I am the founder and now president of CS Recruiting. We are located in Chicago. We are a fully remote virtual company, have about 40 employees on our team, and we recruit exclusively in supply chain, transportation, and logistics, and really take on searches in any North American market. So It's a big industry, I won't go into too much detail, um, but essentially we are helping companies find talent for their roles that influence any sort of activity or decision making around their transportation, logistics, manufacturing, distribution operations. We pretty much recruit for any role within that greater industry except truck drivers. So Mm. most people think that we do only truck driver recruiting, and that's a bit of a different ballgame. So any other position that moves freight along or is part of the procurement, production, distribution, or transportation process. Um, So I started the business in 2010. Kind of by accident, I was transitioning from um, my company that had sold into really I had just had my third son and kind of figuring out if I wanted to continue my career and what direction I wanted to take it in.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: LinkedIn really helped me get started. I was positioned on LinkedIn as a recruiter specific to the supply chain and logistics industry, and as we all know how it works, one connection led to another and to another and um, I started getting inquiries about doing some freelance recruiting projects, and um, mm-hmm. it was my space. It was my passion. So took on a couple searches, and then before I knew it, I, I had a book of business and a client portfolio, and um, it was time to make it official. So um, at that point, I Worked about one year, I'd say, is a a one woman show where I kind of did it all, and then it was time to start hiring. So it's been an adventure. Um, but I would say one of the the things that really has helped me along is being a business owner, having my own team, dealing with our own recruiting issues, allows me to really serve our clients um, because I'm in it with them, and I can you know really mm-hmm. lead by example and understand some of what they're experiencing. So I try and apply a lot of what I learn from our clients and candidates to our business. And I try and apply a lot of what I do from a leadership, cultural employee standpoint, um, to the greater network and hope to make a positive influence.
0: Wow, that that is amazing. It's so inspiring to hear about those stories where someone has a passion and a dream and they make it come true. So once again, I'm so glad to have you here in the podcast and I'm sure our discussion will be very interesting to our listeners. So I do have a few questions for you today. The first one is, well, Microsoft is in the news because they will be adding salaries to job postings. And this is controversial as you know. So Mm -hmm. what have you heard about this in the HR world?
1: It is controversial and there is a lot of hype around this topic, so I had posted something several weeks ago, and that's kind of how we got connected. I think Mm -hmm. that post today has close to 2 million views, and it was a very simple post, just a yes or no, should salaries be included on job descriptions. Mm -hmm. It's a touchy subject for a lot of reasons, and I try to reserve my opinion um, when I'm putting public information out there, and I'm happy to share my opinion because I think most recruiters would agree with me. And the the struggle is, as recruiters, we are constantly networking. We are constantly looking to connect and engage with industry talent. We work on hundreds of jobs of all levels and multiple locations, different types of client services and different types of companies. And often our job posts are what attract talent to us so we can start the relationship. And when you put a salary on a job description, that could defer someone away very quickly, somebody who may see it as being overqualified or underqualified. Mm. And as a recruiter, we want to talk to these people. We want to lure them in with one job description. But our real goal is to match them to the right opportunities. And it may or may not be the job that they actually applied to. So I think most recruiters would agree with me that from a networking standpoint, once you put that salary out there. You're you're losing some interest of candidates that you still want to talk to and engage and you very well may have a job for them. They just did not see that job. So you lose the opportunity Mm -hmm. to network on a a broader mass level. However, for candidates and for corporate recruiting teams, I do understand the value of having the salary on the job description. Um, So it's very controversial um, candidates, of course, want this. They don't want to waste their time. They don't want to be ghosted. They don't want to be rejected You know, from every job application. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, all those decisions are made because of salary and assumed salary. So when you're transparent about it, it creates a lot more efficiency in the job search process for both the hiring company and the candidate. Um, the other thing that it does is it creates a lot of transparency just around wages and equality in general. Mm-hmm. And that's a really big topic right now is if I'm an account executive at a company and you know, I'm being paid $45,000 and I see that my employer has my job posted, you know, let's say there's, there's many of me in the position and they post the job at 60000 well, why am I not getting 60000 Is it because mm-hmm. I started a low, lower salary? Is it because I'm a female? Um, is it because I work from home, or is it simply just they're looking to attract talent, and they may never offer sixty thousand. That job may cap off at forty-five, and my mm-hmm. employer is just using that to lure in qualified people. So Microsoft is definitely, you know, making some headlines. I will also mention that this is a state-by-state policy. And in some states, I know Colorado is one state, I believe New York is another, it's required. So any employer that is domiciled in those states in the U.S. must post the salary and provide that level of transparency for all those reasons we discussed. And I Mm -hmm. would not be surprised if this becomes a national law or even a, a law within North America. And I think the way they'll regulate it is on you know LinkedIn, Indeed, Monster, all these resume and job posting sites, they're not gonna let you post a job until you've filled in that salary information. So hmm. it's easy to regulate, but now it's still loose because it's, it's not a law and employers, recruiters, any hiring individual has the option to include it or not include it.
0: I think that's really interesting to hear the the HR side of things. Mostly when we look at the comments, we see the candidate side of things. And from your your notes, it almost sounds like it is for the candidate's own good sometimes to not see the salary because then you know that does not discourage you from applying for that role where there may be another role that is good for you and you wouldn't apply to it if you had been uh, dissuaded based on the salary. So- that's, that's a really good perspective to see.
1: Yeah. I mean, a job search or a hiring process always comes down to timing and often whether it's fortunate or unfortunate, it comes down to who, you know, and sometimes, Mm -hmm. who you know, may not necessarily be, I know my neighbor and he's going to help me get the job. It's I connected with someone at that company, we had a you know very brief exchange on LinkedIn, but I made a good impression. And now they're going to remember me when a future job comes up. And mm-hmm. just going back to the salary, if that salary was higher or lower than where I was at, I may have never applied in the first place. And I just completely wiped an opportunity to join that employer at a at a different level at a different period of time. So yeah. I think those are important things to think about. It, it doesn't help with mass networking and relationship building for the sake of really being able to match make um, but it does help with transparency and I think any candidate that is in the trenches of the job search would say I only want to apply to jobs that match my value and line up with my salary expectations
0: yeah that's that's really and as you said it is legislation in I believe it's New York and Colorado based on on what you mentioned. so what would you think is the the solution here because we we there are pros and cons to having the salary listed and not having it listed. So do you think like a a range would be the best solution there? Or what would you think is the the best solution if everyone is forced to show a salary in job postings?
1: Yeah. If you look at you know any post on LinkedIn on this topic, and you scroll through the comments, you are going to see the wide spectrum of opinions. And mm-hmm. so, I think where I stand on this topic is not everyone is ever going to be happy. You are mm-hmm. going to mm-hmm. disappoint some audience or some you know group of people um, if you legislate it or not. And. I think the ranges are definitely a solution as long as they're reasonable. Sometimes I'll chuckle when I go through job descriptions and I see that there's a job posted and the range is $60,000 to $300,000. And it's like, well, which is it? And mm-hmm. for employers, when when you put that range in, you have to be prepared to not only negotiate, but to really manage the candidate's expectations because- Let's say, Victor, you apply to a job that says it's forty to sixty thousand, and in the first interview, I ask you what you're looking to make. Of course, you're going to say close to sixty thousand mm-hmm. um, and especially in in most states, you cannot ask what somebody makes, so you could tell me you you want sixty thousand, I could never validate it and say okay you want sixty but what are you making now that's illegal for me to ask you that question so um, I think that's where employers kind of get caught up as well when you get into the salary ranges is nobody's going to tell you they're making the low end of the range so in a way you're you know kind of shooting yourself in the foot by putting that range out there knowing that interested candidates are going to be attracted to the highest end of that mm-hmm. salary band
0: absolutely Wow so <laughs> sounds like a slippery slope uh, for it sure is. it N- is now that Microsoft, as you said, is in the in the headlines, and of course, I think also I did know about New York, I didn't know about Colorado, but that also definitely was in the news. Do you think more companies will be adopting this new practice going forward? In other words, how what have you heard about how this has been received by other companies? Are they looking into it and saying, oh, yeah, we should do this? Or have most companies been resistant to doing something like this?
1: I think you know if it if it becomes a law, it's a law, and mm-hmm. nobody will have a choice. Anyone who posts a job description is going to follow the rules. But I think it's also very dependent on the state of the market. And so, in the ca- last couple of weeks, I mean, we are starting to hear about more and more layoffs. Mm-hmm. I still believe it's very much a candidate's hiring market. So. The employee, the job seeker has control. There are more jobs out there than there are qualified, available, interested people. And so in those situations, companies really have to weigh the pros and cons. And um, if it's a candidate's market and they know that the company needs them more than they need the company, putting the job, uh, the salary on there is going to, you know, psychologically, it's going to make a big difference in terms of the number of applicants you get. Mm -hmm. So my guess is while it's still loose and discretionary that employers are using that, you know, mindfully, and they're being strategic about jobs, and and they may be very different. They may have 10 jobs posted, some jobs will list the salary because they want to weed out the over and underqualified people. Some jobs may not list a salary because they really need to fill this position and they're willing to look at every and any resume that comes their way. Mm. Um, so there's, there's a lot of strategy behind it in today's market where it's still the employer's choice.
0: That sounds good. Now, the main opposers to having salaries and job postings, based on what I see on LinkedIn comments, seem to be people who wish to have their, sa- their own salary remain private. So they don't want others to see how much they are making. So what would you say to them?
1: That's an interesting question because I think, you know, very rarely will you see a job posting with an exact salary. Um and a lot of times it's, you know, that the salary that someone is at has so many different variables. Now, if if you are hired at an entry level and you're 6 months into your job and the job pays 40 to 60,000 dollars, I don't really know where you're at. You're somewhere between that range. If I wanted to, if I cared enough to to investigate, mm-hmm. um, but it's it's not unreasonable for a client to also change the requirements and say, you know, this is an account executive position. We have hired entry level people and we pay them on the lower side of the range, and now we want more senior people. It's still the same title. It's still the same job description, but we're gonna post it at sixty thousand because we wanna catch people with two or three years of experience. And that's where you as a current employee have to just have, you know, self-awareness and recognize like it's not you being cheated, it's really being paid your value. And if somebody does come in with more experience, more tenure, different education, different certifications, you, you may be in the exact same position and and have different salaries. So Um, I think people are more concerned about like the comparing and is this person making more than me or do I, you know, do I, do I feel like I'm being compensated unfairly now that I see what my company puts out there Mm -hmm. more so than, you know, I'm not getting a hold of your W-2 and a salary is a salary. So there's, there's a lot more to it, especially in commission-based jobs. I mean, I, I may make the assumption that, Because I see a job that pays $40,000 posted and that's your title, I may assume you make $40,000 when in reality you're bringing in, you know, $200,000 all in because you have an incentive package. So um, Mm. most of these jobs will always default to the base salary. Um, Creative employers can usually, you know, finagle it a little, little. And if they're smart about it, they may post the total earning potential. But it's, Mm. again, it's potential. It's not what you're guaranteed.
0: For sure. So I think definitely this could be, we could talk even more about uh, this particular uh, subject on salaries on job postings. But speaking of which, you know, we have salaries on job postings remote work as a must-have for some candidates, job hopping being acceptable, and even four-day weeks. So it seems as if the business world is evolving pretty quickly. So what has been the most interesting recent change for you when it comes to this HR and benefits in Canada's world?
1: Yeah, I mean, I... I'm always someone who tries to find the silver lining and the pandemic was a dark time for everyone and it was something that we all went through together but the silver lining is it really did change the way that companies lead, the way companies treat their employees mm-hmm. and the way employees manage their own careers and I I think it's added a tremendous amount of value. I think back maybe five years ago. I was at a conference and I did a presentation specifically about hiring um, millennials. And there were a lot of questions and comments about millennials being entitled and who do these kids think they are, being able to work from their couch and wear ripped jeans to work and you know want flexible working hours and unlimited PTO days. And I I laugh because that is the reality of the workforce today and it's not so much that the millennials made it happen but what the millennials were asking for and and people thought they were you know feeling entitled for is actually what we all deserve and so it was the pandemic it was the you know shift of the supply demand balance in the workforce that truly forced companies to loosen their requirements and at the end of the day what we have seen is that Yes, money drives your career and everyone works. Ninety nine percent of people work for money. Um, if we all had you know, the same amount of money in our bank and didn't have to work, would we? Uh, you know, everyone would have a different opinion there. Um, mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, people are switching jobs right now for reasons other than money. And in the past year, we have seen more candidates make lateral moves. More candidates take the same salary at a new employer because they value other intangibles more than just the money. And those mm-hmm. intangibles are some of the things you mentioned, you know, having the flexibility to work remote, um, having, you know, unlimited PTO days or flexible hours. Personally, I think it all comes down to trust. And employees want to feel trusted. When you feel trusted, you're empowered. When you're empowered, you're happier. When you're happier, you're more productive. So if you hire the right people and you put the right systems in place, I, I truly believe it's a cycle. And it it all adds up in a very positive way. But um, it's not so much about, you know, like free pizza and kegs in the kitchen at, at your mm-hmm. office anymore. It's about the quality of life and just leading with respect and treating people like humans as we deserve.
0: Exactly, exactly. And like you said, the pandemic really brought remote work front and center. And what seemed to be something that was never going to happen is now a reality. And that is also a huge, controversial topic. And there's so many opposers to working from home and so many supporters to working from home. But really, it's kind of like, a, a like you said, get with the times. And this is just the new reality. Right. And, and okay. I think, that, like you said, the pandemic really brought it uh, front and center.
1: And there's no argument when companies are looking for niche talent and they really need to hire someone with a specialized background. Mm -hmm. If I gave you the choice of hiring the best person within 20 miles of your office or the best person in the country, there's no question that you want the best person that is most qualified for this job. And so... A lot of companies are resistant to it, and they kind of stick to their zip code um, because it's hard. It is hard to transition to a fully virtual company and maintain a sense of connectivity and a strong culture, but it's possible um, and I'm very proud of what our team has done in the last two years just to prove it was hard work. it was a lot of research it was a lot of conversations, a lot of you know normalizing some of these taboo subjects and you know having surveys and open dialogue with our team but I'm very proud of where we are today. I think our culture is stronger than ever, Mm -hmm. Um, but but we did it and other companies can do it. Um, It's just resistance to change.
0: It it is resistance. And also I think not being able to grasp the fact that people can be just as productive from home as from an Mm -hmm. office. So it's definitely, that is one of our uh, favorite topics here in, in the podcast. And Robin and I are definitely both pro work from home. (laughs) But uh, there's just articles every day about return to office. And it's, it's a a time of change, basically. Yeah, Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. there's a lot of opinions. And and there's a lot of really appropriate arguments. I mean, I don't know, Mm -hmm. I don't know what gas looks like in Canada right now. But it's it's crazy in the US. And when Mm -hmm. you think about, you know, the cost to commute, That's one thing that, you know, not not only the cost to commute, the time to commute Mm -hmm. and being able to Mm -hmm. give that back to your employee by allowing them more flexibility, whether it's five days a week at home or two days a week at home. Those are the little things that add up and employees appreciate and employees know that other companies are doing it. So if you're not going to offer this to me. Maybe mm-hmm. that is you know a deal breaker and a non-negotiable, and that is what is going to force me to leave and go find an employer that will offer it
0: yeah yeah, absolutely, and we certainly have been seeing a lot of that, a lot of job hopping, however, we have also seen the other side of the coin recently, like you said, those mass layoffs that have been in the news uh, this month as well and last month and this has actually led some people who were looking for new opportunities to have second thoughts about job hopping in this climate. So what would you say to them? It's now a bad time to be looking for new opportunities?
1: The market is still yielding a higher demand than supply. So I do think that you have to be your own advocate in your job search and in your career. And if there is something that is unsettling, Um, and, And you have reason to believe that another employer could satisfy that or make you more connected to your work, make you feel more fulfilled, provide a better culture, provide better growth opportunity. This is your time to put yourself out there and look. However, I will say that there are some really crazy statistics right now of people who have made moves in the last year that regret it. Um, And it's a very high number. I don't have it off the top of my head, but it shocked me. Um, The Mm -hmm. MUSE website reported something a couple weeks ago in a survey. And I think it was like 56% of the people who had changed jobs in the last two years Felt bamboozled, um, so they thought the grass was greener. They, you know, thought that they could come up with this checklist of what they needed from their employer, and when their mm-hmm. employer didn't give it to them, they were lured in somewhere else, and it was not what they expected. So I would say proceed with caution. There are good jobs out there. Companies are hiring. If it's your time to move, it's it's a good thing to pursue right now. But it's really up to you as the advocate of your own career to ask the right questions in the interview, do the right research, make sure you really understand the position, the potential, the culture, you know, and just the integrity of that company, um, because there's probably no worse feeling than accepting a job and knowing on day one or in week one that you made a mistake.
0: Absolutely. And I, I did see that article. It was also in the news here in, in Canada, and it's... Uh, like you said, the percentage is very high. So what the one that I'm looking at is from The Guardian, and it is 72% wow. from a group of uh, 2,500 workers. So that's very high. Yeah. Um, so definitely good advice is, you know, you're, you're your own advocate, and really look into why you're looking to make the change. And if the company that you're looking at is the correct uh, decision for you. So yeah. Yeah. And I, there's
1: actually there was a an article in my LinkedIn news feed today that was talking about boomerang employees. So a boomerang employee mm. is somebody who returns back to an employer after they leave and discover mm-hmm. that the grass isn't greener and um that there's a huge uptick in boomerang employees. So um we have also seen a huge uptick and it's it's disappointing because it it does hurt our business but in accepted counteroffers. So these are candidates that go to resign. Usually they accept another company's offer. Mm -hmm. Um, They go to resign and then they are countered to stay. They, you know, get an increase. They get a title bump. They get more responsibility. And it's unfortunate that that's what it takes for their employer to express their gratitude and make them feel worthy. Like I have to threaten mm-hmm. you that I'm leaving mm-hmm. and I found something better to get what I really need to stay here. So we're seeing a lot of that. And then we're also seeing um, a lot of people going back to their old employers. And so, I mean, my my best advice always is try not to burn that bridge. If you do leave a company, be honest with them as why you're leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell mm-hmm. you, you know, at our company, we've had I think we've had four boomerang instances where we've rehired a former employee that came back to us with, you know, different, different time gaps after they left. But there's nothing that makes me happier when I realize that, you know, we, we parted ways amicably, we set them out there and and hoped for the best for them. And they came back realizing that they had something good and the grass Mm -hmm. is not greener.
0: Yeah. Really amazing feedback um, to like you said, always make sure that that bridge is still there. Leave the door open just in case you are one of these 72% of uh, the folks who make a change and then they regret it. You always know that you can go back if, uh, if, if you know that bridge is still there. So definitely good, to, good advice there. Um, okay, so now let's uh, pivot over to your status as a LinkedIn influencer. So what would you recommend to someone who is looking to grow their network?
1: There's a couple things uh, that will help you grow your network on LinkedIn. So, first and foremost, you have to have a network and then you can really deliver to your network. So, if you are just joining LinkedIn or just starting to build your network and connection base, it's pretty easy to get started. Like, think of your colleagues, think of your clients, think of your colleagues in your last job, think of your neighbors, and you just go from there. And LinkedIn makes it very easy. If I connect with you now, it will suggest your connections to me. And that's a a great way to introduce myself is I see that we're both connected to Victor and we play in the same space. So it'd be great to, you know, see if there's synergies for us. Um, So building your network, LinkedIn recently added restrictions to your connection limit. So back in the day, you could connect with as many people you wanted to and it was their discretion to accept it or not. I think Mm -hmm. now you can get a, you could do a hundred connection requests a week. Not to say that you couldn't receive more. Um, so you can gain more than a hundred new connections a week, but you can only send out a hundred requests. Um, the other way to do it is through followers. And the difference in followers on LinkedIn is that we can follow each other, but we're not going to show up as first connections. And that will limit my ability to network with your network. But, once you surpass 30,000 connections, um, you have no choice but to move into that follower space. So I've, I've made do with it. I've never really understood why LinkedIn capped the connections on a, mm-hmm. you know, a networking platform. It's very counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do understand the spam, and people don't want to be you know harassed and sold um, every time they open an email. But when I think of my network, even my 30,000 connections, I will, I will say that they're all relevant. They all play in my industry. They all play in locations where we do business. Do I know 30,000 people? Absolutely not. But this is how I will get to know them is by leveraging the connections and the connections to the connections and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, that's step one is to build your network. Step two is then to engage. And there's really two ways to go about it. Um, you could either respond to other people's content. Um, and if you're shy or you're nervous about putting yourself out there, that's the best first step. Go through your feed, you know, share your opinions, comment on other people's content, share their content with your network. Sometimes you can make a comment on someone else's post and that may get you more exposure than if you were to post it yourself. So mm-hmm. um love to banter and network through the comments. Um, and then the second step, and this requires you know more thoughtfulness and more planning, but to share your content and to have um, an audience that you're speaking to consistently, a set of messages that you, you really stick to and put yourself out there. And there's so many ways to share content, so many different types of content to share
0: mm-hmm. and
1: There's still, with all of the LinkedIn users, only two percent of the profiles are actually sharing content right now. So, while it feels like your feed may be, yeah, really saturated, and there's you know so many different conversations going on, it's a very small percentage of their total user base that's actually putting content out there on a regular basis.
0: Wow, yeah, I did not know that. That's uh, that's pretty crazy. Because yeah, yeah, like you said, I go into LinkedIn and I always have new things to see, but it's that's crazy. That's only 2%. Um, yeah, speaking of, opportunity, uh, it, yeah, definitely. So speaking of, you know, creating your own content. So um, do you have any tips for our listeners on how to have their LinkedIn posts reach larger audiences? So when they do start creating their own content, how would you recommend that they get the content seen?
1: Yeah, it's, it's all about speaking to your audience. So as you are building your connection base, be mindful of who you're adding. Are you adding executives? Are you adding peers? Are you adding people that you want to sell your product or service to and then speak to them? And in my audience, there's there's different types of people in my audience and I'm very aware of that. So my content flows and there's some days where I'm speaking to the candidates and the job seekers and you know helping provide them with advice or empathize with them in their search. In other days I'm speaking to leaders and usually all audiences receive the message and will engage in some way. So consistency, knowing your audience. The other thing that I'll say, and this is, it's discouraging, but it's, it's the truth, is the posts that perform the best on LinkedIn have to appeal to the mass public. So that salary post that we were talking about, it's so basic. It it, it's, you know, it's not one that I poured my heart out or I, you know, was vulnerable or I put a ton of thought into Mm -hmm. actually writing the content and how I wanted to position it. It's an image that literally says, should salaries be on job description postings? Yes Mm -hmm. or no. Those are the ones that go viral. So when you can appeal to, you know, the masses, I had another post um, that was a poll a year ago or so that was what time do you wake up? It's such a simple question and every single person can answer it. It's like, Mm -hmm. I don't Mm -hmm. care if you're, you know, young or old, I don't care what industry you're in, what profession you're in, we all wake up and we all want to weigh in and share our rationale. So um, my advice is to talk about what you're passionate about, speak to your audience. Don't be discouraged if those posts where you do get vulnerable and, and really be strategic and mindful of what you're putting out there, they may not get the best engagement, But if you can kind of buffer that with posts that will appeal to the masses, that's how your your unique content is going to be seen and engaged. And if if it hits one person and that person is influenced, then you did your job that
0: day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And lastly, any closing thoughts or advice for our listeners who may be looking for work at this time? Anything that we additional from what we've already discussed throughout this episode?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say... The technology out there really makes it easy for us these days. When I first started recruiting, it was Craigslist. It was classified ads. Um, So Mm take advantage of the technology. You can search for jobs. You can put filters on and really customize your search. You can set up alerts. So um, that will always be the best avenue is applying to jobs you know, finding a recruiter. I don't think most people realize that recruiting is a free service to the job seeker. So it is the companies that hire recruiters that ultimately pay them for bringing talent their way. So align yourself with a recruiter in your industry. Um, Make sure you choose the right recruiter and you can work with multiple recruiters, but um, someone who represents companies that you want to work for and is working on the type of jobs that interest you. And then lastly, keep in mind that it's all about timing and who you know. So never stop networking, never stop being curious. Um, Don't be afraid to put yourself out there because nobody cares more about your job search than you do. And if if you're not going to take it into your own hands, you're probably going to stay where you're at.
0: Absolutely. And it's it's so valuable um, to talk about recruiters since most, I think most people probably go about their job search by themselves and they go and apply and they look for jobs. But like you said, recruiters are out there and they are a free service. So definitely good to find a recruiter that you can work with. And that will be, again, absolutely free. So great, great advice again. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Well, that wraps up our conversation with Charlie. What great information. I I certainly hope all of this was interesting and helpful to anyone listening. And Charlie, thank you so much again for joining me today. This was awesome.
1: Thanks, Victor. It was a pleasure.
0: Excellent. Well, to our audience, thank you so much for listening to the Business Podcast Canada. If you'd like to reach out to us, our email is contact at businesspodcast.ca, or you can also message us through LinkedIn if you prefer. Thank you all again. Until next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Business Podcast Canada. If you'd like to contact the podcast, please reach out to contact at businesspodcast.ca. You can also find us on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash company slash businesspodcastcanada. Until next time.